0: Chapter 15, verse 14 is where we're going to start today. We, uh, <clears throat> we kind of closed off last week with a section of this uh, appearance of three angels that <clears throat> has always just stuck in my mind. And so uh, let me just go back and wrap that up, and then let's jump into chapter 15, verse 14. We, we ended up with ch- verses 13, um, uh, excuse me, 12 and 13 last week where after you see these, these three angels, you get these words in verse number 12, chapter 14. It says, here's the call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I, I kind of have that word in my Bible circled, endurance. It's hupomone uh, in Greek. and <clears throat> The way I've always remembered that, that word is hupo means underneath, mone. Um, you, you can almost hear our English moan in it right under moaning i am with moaning i'm I, i'm under this 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 world and its brokenness and and i am with moaning and it says yes but here here is here is a call for the endurance of of the saints we're going to moan but but know that you're held in jesus's hands my phone rang <clears throat> last night about 10 30 and a dear uh, friend of ours that we've we've been um, you know in in the battle with thick and thin um, wanted to hear um, wanted to talk for the last time. She uh, called from her hospital bed, and um, she's a lady. She and her husband that are were part of our our, our apartment outreach. And so they, they lived in an apartment complex, and um, you never meet anybody with just more joy. You know, just that sense of, I'm going to serve the King of Kings to my last breath. And uh, so she has been battling cancer here the last, you know, couple of years. And um, so she got on the phone, and they told her, we're going to give you some medicine, and you're going to go to sleep, and you probably won't. I mean, you're going to meet Jesus next. And so we just, uh, you know, said, I said, well, you'll, you'll have the angels come. And uh, their warrior angels. Go into their hands and uh, let them take you home. And you'll find your rest now for a, a time. And then, you know, it'll seem like there is no time and the resurrection will be here. And your, your body restored and will come together again. And so just have confidence in that. And I, I thought of that, you know, th- that's a little bit of these words. Here's a call for the endurance of the saints. Um, we're in a war. We're in a battle. And Jesus never said, hey, it's going to be really easy. And if you, if you come, you know, serve me, I'll take all your pain and problems away. No, he didn't say any of that. He said, no, nope. um, Monet, there's going to be hard stuff in this world. Your body's going to moan. The earth's going to moan, all of it, because it's broken. And I'm coming back to fix it once and for all. And that day will be on the resurrection day. And so this is the call. The call is to endure, endure, come underneath that morning. And you come under it holding on to this promise of of God, the hope of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. So John ends this little part by saying, I heard a voice then from heaven saying, just write this down. Uh, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Okay, And there's that sense I wanted to be able to just say last night, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. There's a blessing in death. Uh, we don't think of it that way, but one of the great gifts that Jesus put under the Christmas tree is death. It takes you out of this moaning it takes you out of this brokenness of the world we look at it negatively we think of it bad oh this person is going to die as, as followers of jesus christ i think i think we ought to be more like the the folks in the town i was born in uh a la new orleans and i'll tell you what when when you die they have a party right i mean did you ever have you seen a funeral in new orleans they come marching down the street with their casket, blowing those horns, with the jazz going, and everybody's singing. Now, I, I want to go out that way. So if, I, if I'm here, you guys get the horns, blow it out. Just I have one request. Don't sing that song, Ding Dong, the Witch is Dead, all right? Because <laughs> that's not a good hymn to go out on, all right? <laughs> but you know, it's, that's, that's the idea. You're under this endurance, but blessed are the, die, are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. And then the Spirit says, blessed indeed. Blessed indeed, uh, that they may rest from their labors. And this is how we kind of closed out last week. I, I love that that Greek term there, that they may rest from their kopos. And um, you know, we, we hit on this last week. It's a, it's a agricultural term, that you may rest from your cultivating. You're, you're turning up the soil. And I hope we see our lives that way. You know, that my my job here on earth isn't, isn't to bring cause someone to believe in jesus christ but it's to to cultivate right so paul said it this way we plant and we water we plant and we water who gives the growth god gives the growth um so growing up in san antonio i had a lot of baptist friends who would always be asking me like how many people have you brought to know the lord and i'd always say the same thing zero they look at me like what you know they got notches on their belt They're like well zero? I'd be like, that's correct. Zero. I can't do it. You can't bring someone to know Jesus Christ. You plant the seeds, you water the seeds, you watch the Spirit, the Spirit brings someone to know him. So this is what he's saying is when you take your last breath, you can finally go, Ah, I'm done cultivating. Done cultivating for this time. And then I love the way it closes out, for their deeds do follow them. All right. So what's the fruit of cultivation? The the deeds aren't okay, look at, look at what all I've done, but what follows cultivation? You've planted the seed in your water and here comes the fruit, right? And so in heaven, the fruit of it is what? Are people that uh, you'll meet up with. And I'm, I'm convinced of this. There'll be some people that'll say to you, do you remember when you know, we talked about last week that Ray Boltz song, you know, that, that that where he captures this idea that, you know, here's this Sunday school teacher and up runs a Sunday school, you know, kid that says, do you remember me? No, I don't remember you. Well, I was three when you taught me about Jesus and I want to thank you. Really, I don't even remember it. And I'm convinced that's true, you know, that in eternity we'll meet people and and God will say to you and I, you you cultivated you planted you water here's the fruit of that here's a person that came to know me here's another person that came to know me another person that came to know me so that part of the joy of eternity is uh, is just really being able to know that yes god is using you and so in this christmas week know that that god is using you um in in significant ways even when you say to yourself i don't feel like it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like my words or my actions are making any difference at all in this person's life know this that god is working through you and through his word in other people's lives and so when we take that last breath we're able to say it's a blessing we are uh are leaving this world and until then we we do what we um endure Verse 14 starts a new section, and I kind of like this section where um, as not only personally we reach our end, but as the, the world comes to an end, there is a harvesting that goes on. So not only, you know, do you rest from your cultivating and see the fruits, but now we get to kind of go back and see uh, at a grander level this Jesus who is harvesting right, his crop And uh, so you you get a little of that harvest language here. It begins with verse 14. It says, then then I looked, then I looked, and that just kind of signals to you, now you're going to erase the chalkboard. I get another scene in front of me. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And seated on the cloud was one like a huyasaner, a son of man, uh, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. All right, so you, you've got, I'm, I'm, I'm the king, and I'm coming here to, to my earth as the, as the world comes to a close to do something, to, to harvest, right? And um, a, a couple of things that, that should stand out in our mind, first of all is, how does Jesus Christ come? How does he come at the end? And uh, it's interesting that, that this word cloud shows up, right? Um, you know, one of the things that perplexes People and, and I've had this question asked of me. Maybe you have too, as a Christian. Is people in the world will say to us, well, "Are you telling me that when Jesus comes, there's going to be some trumpet sound that goes off?" I'm like, well, yeah, I'm telling you, there's a, a trumpet sound that goes off. And um, they're like, "Well, what, what's the deal with the trumpet sound?" I'm like, "Well, it's it's just it's the the signal. It's the sign that it's time. God is coming." And you're, you're telling me that everybody, how are people, how is he going to talk to people? I mean, you've got all these different people, different languages. How, how are people going to, and how is he going to show, is he coming on a chair? I'm like, no, he's coming on the cloud. It well, perplexes people. They're like, I, you can't, how can you see, you know, if you're in one part of the world, you can see, I said, listen to me, do we understand how this is all going to come down? No, but here, here's what we do understand is that when you, when you look at Jesus' own words, he's telling us that this, in this cataclysmic moment, there will be a recognition on the part of all of humanity that this is, this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh, Paul tells us that in that moment, every knee on earth will bow down. There is nobody that stands there and goes, cool, right? It's a cataclysmic moment in history where if you put together the different things that are said in Scripture, you you get this incredible picture of the resurrection. Beyond our minds, imagine bodies coming out of graves, bodies coming together, okay? The the Greeks were perplexed. They said, well, how are these bodies going to come together? I mean, what about the guy that got eaten by the lion? And, you know, the lion pooped him out. You know, and then water rained on him, and he's scattered all over. He's kind of sunk into there. How are you telling me that God is going to bring his body back? I'm telling you, this... do you, do you not know who God is? He's the God who said, let there be light. He said, let there be ground. This is not a hard problem for him, okay? So your bodies come out of the ground. You have Jesus Christ coming in the air, okay? Um, on a cloud, yes, on a cloud. Seen by all of humanity, yes. And again, that moment is not a, hey, this is a cool moment. It's a knee-bowing, I, I, I recognize who you are. You are the king. You have authority over your entire creation. You made it. It belongs to you. I have no authority. I bow before you. Thus the crown that is on Jesus' head, right? Now, if you go back into the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus you know, expressed this uh, in, in this kind of critical moment of his life, he told people, this is how, this is how I'm going to come. If you flip over to Matthew chapter 26, you'll, you'll just see Jesus' very plain language regarding this, beginning verse 57. So Matthew 26, beginning verse 57, just look at what he, what he says to <clears throat> the high priest as he is uh, getting ready to leave this earth for the first time. So Matthew 26, beginning verse 57. It reads, and those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered together. Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat down with the guards to see the end. I just think that's interesting, Peter. Um, now at a distance from Jesus, um, the end is here. Verse 59 says, Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they could put him to death. This isn't true. They found none. They couldn't find any. Uh, No one in that moment was willing to stand up and say, Oh, yes, we're going to give you testimony that will allow him to be put to death. It says many false witnesses, though, came forward. At last, two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? Now, Jesus remained silent. Um, The high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ son of God. Now the high priest is not saying this to him so that he can worship. him. he's like, oh, just tell me the ear of the Christ and I'll bow down. He's t- saying it to him because he needs Jesus to speak those words in order to charge him with blasphemy and kill him, right? Jesus simply turns to him and says, you have said so. I love that. But I tell you from now on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Okay. What Jesus is saying is, I'm going to die. You're going to put me to death, and, and I'm going to go and be with my Father. The next time you see me, guess how I'm coming. Seated on clouds, with the power and the authority, right, of God himself. And so when, you, when you're reading the Revelation, just flip back over to, to, to verse 14. That's the picture that you have is, here comes Jesus, and this moment in time is ready for what? The, the judgment day. Now, Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 adds to this. He says, you have the resurrection first. You have those who have been resurrected caught up in the sky, right? With Jesus now. Um, and, and, and then those who are alive on that day, died." will now be caught up together with him. Now you have the destruction of the current earth, the complete annihilation of it. Uh, the prophets would use the, the words rolled up and burned like a scroll, right? This is all happening in what you and I might call a, like a, a flash in time. And then you have the recreation of the earth and the return of Jesus Christ and his body to earth. You literally have a marriage ceremony that takes place. Uh we'll get to that in Revelation chapter twenty-one. The bride and groom are joined together, they come down the aisle, and here we are in our new home to live forever. Jesus and his and his church. All right. In in that moment, there is this what we would call the final judgment. Okay. Um, and thus you get this image of a sharp sickle in jesus's hand. So I want you to play around with this in the back of your mind. Just to just kind of let the, this this question roll around for a couple of minutes, and we'll deal with this image of a sharp sickle. Um, the judgment day. Okay, wh- when actually are you judged? When actually are you judged? So my friend that that's getting ready to go to heaven, um, does she go to heaven? Um, is there a judgment that takes place? Uh, it, there's people out there that go, oh, no, no, there's a soul sleep, so your soul just kind of goes to sleep and then waits for the judgment day. Um, when are you actually judged? Okay. And so um, part of what you're dealing with in, in terms of theology is this idea that um, when you come to faith in, in, in Jesus Christ and, and you die in that faith, right, um, in a very real sense... You are judged, right, not guilty because of the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. Your soul doesn't just go into a sleep pattern and wait until um, the last day. How do we know that? Well, because of what we're seeing here in the Revelation. We see souls active and engaged with God in heaven calling out for this last day to come, right? Right? So in, so in one sense, you are judged the day that you die, right? If I'm outside of faith, I have no faith in Jesus Christ. My soul in that moment it doesn't go to sleep. It goes to be with the one who I've chosen to be with for eternity. Notice how I said that. I've chosen to be with my father, the fallen angel, Satan, for eternity. My soul goes there. It's there now. Right, So um, when I listen to theologians try to either play around with the idea of soul sleep or worse yet, you get the idea, oh, no, you're going to go to some purgatory place where we can pay your way out of it. I'm like, stop. Just read the Bible, for goodness sakes. Your your soul will be in, in the presence of God, we call heaven, or in the presence of your father, Satan, in hell for eternity, but... There is a final judgment. And on that last day, guess what? Your soul is reunited with your body. Whether it's in hell or heaven, reunited with your body. And now you are the final judgment takes place, which is is the, the term judgment is the, the Greek word chrysis. Literally what it means is a separation. All right. So I like to think of it this way, the, the, the judgment, are you judged um, uh, in Christ, or you're judged outside of Christ, takes place at your death. The separation, the final separation, or the Christus, takes place at the return of Jesus Christ. Thus you have this imagery, right, it's just imagery, of Jesus coming on the cloud, wearing the crown, I have authority now to make this separation, I've got a sickle in my hand, and now. Finally, we are going to separate those who belong to me from those who do not belong to me for eternity. All right? For those who are alive, who live, or who, who happen to be alive on that last day, their judgment and separation occur simultaneously on the same day, namely uh, Judgment Day. Um, so where do we get this imagery of a sickle? Let's just read just a little bit further and then I'm going to take you back over to Matthew's gospel. Verse 15 says, another angel came out of the temple. He called out with a loud voice to him who sat upon the cloud, put your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. Okay. What he's saying is when you look at the hands of time, right? We are now not A time and a time and a half a time, we're now there. This is judgment day. Um, So, verse 16, he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Verse 17, then another angel came out of the temple. He too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar. The angel who has authority over the fire. And he called out with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle. Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape of harvest to the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Okay? So let's kind of go back and look at, I'm going to look at one Old Testament and one New Testament scripture that kind of paint this picture of this last day, this separating day, uh, using this imagery of, of the sickle or of the harvest. Okay, In the Old Testament, All right. interestingly, there's an interesting reference to this in the book of Joel, chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. Let's slip over there. Joel, chapter 3, beginning verse 9. So this idea of a judgment, it's not just a New Testament theme, it's been around since the prophets uh, who pointed forward to this um, years before Jesus Christ was even born. So in Joel chapter 3, you have this, this judgment scene, and and I just want to kind of um, preface this by saying, if you were living in the time that Joel spoke these words, the way you would probably hear them would be, you would hear them as applic- applicable to you as Israel right so Israel is this nation that says when they come when they come under attack or they come under bondage they're always asking God God when are you going to reap judgment upon the nations that come against us and the prophets will say well God is going to come and he's going to reap judgment on the nations that right have have come against you because in coming against you they've come against me but don't stop there Always the prophetic word is pointing forward beyond that temporary judgment of God against nations to what? To the final judgment. And so you pick that up here in Joel chapter 3. Just kind of read through quickly the very opening of it. Verse 1 says, Behold, in those days of that time, when I restore the fortunes of, of Judah and Jerusalem, I'll gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage Israel because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land, have cast lots for my people, traded a boy for a prostitute and sold a girl for wine and they've drunk it. In other words, God said, I, I, I know when the world is putting my chosen ones under, under um, hostility and I don't just sit idly by in heaven i i authorize that because i'm i'm doing what i'm bringing my own nation back to me but there'll come that moment in time then that i come to reap judgment upon those nations that have come against my own okay so if i'm an israelite i'm hearing i'm hearing joel say to me oh good you're going to finally reap judgment upon these bad nations that have come against me now Joel breaks into this prophecy that points beyond that initial temporary judgment. Go to verse 9. Proclaim this among the nations. Consecrate for war and stir up the mighty men. Let all of the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears and let the weak say, I am a warrior. Hasten. And come, all you surrounding nations, gather yourselves there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations stir themselves up and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. When we get a little bit further in the Revelation, the valley of Jehoshaphat will line up almost exactly with something called Armageddon, or you have heard it, Armageddon, right? And um, Har is, means in Hebrew, mountain. Megiddo, the Mount of Megiddo. It's a famous mountain where you're going to see a numerous what war scenes take place. The Valley of Jehoshaphat is the same in in the Old Testament. Verse 13 says what? Put in the sickle. There it is. Put in the sickle. For the harvest is right. Go into tread. For the winepress is full. The vats overflow. For their evil is great. So there's this picture of, of, of vine and grapes, right? And what, what Jesus is saying is some of those grapes are good grapes. They're mine. They're my harvest. They're my fruit. They're the fruit of, of, of the Spirit who's worked faith in them. And there's other fruit that's what? Bad fruit. And now the judgment is going to come. Throw that bad fruit in the wine press, and I will press it out, stomp it out. In other words, I'm, this is pointing us to that final, final judgment. Um, I kind of love these words, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, right? The sun and the moon are darkened, the stars withdraw their shining. What Joel is pointing to is exactly what we've been reading throughout the Revelation. The Lord roars from Zion, he utters his voice from Jerusalem, the heavens and the earth quake, but the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold of the people of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it. And in that day, the mountains shall drip drip sweet wine, and the hills will flow with milk, and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water. And what he's pointing to is to what? The recreation of earth on that day. The valley of decision, the war is now ended. I'm stomping out the grapes, and I am separating the clusters. So these grapes belong to me. These grapes belong to Satan. So already in this Old Testament period, you have Joel pointing forward to exactly what uh, John is seeing in front of him. Jesus coming with the crown and with his sickle in his hand. Now flip over to Matthew chapter 13. The disciples asked about this. This is kind of uh, a question in their minds. So Matthew chapter 13, where we have Jesus speaking a variety of uh, parables. And um, so let's go over to verse 24, where he speaks this parable that, that, again, lines up with what he's setting in front of uh, his people uh, here in the Revelation. Verse 24 says, "He, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. And when the plants came up and they bore grain, And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned and gather the wheat into my barn. What's Jesus talking about? Same exact thing, right? This judgment day. By the way, this has always been for me personally one of those um, wrestling match scriptures when Jesus speaks this parable. And I'll tell you why. Because most of the time when you read that, you want to read it this way, that you have weeds and you have wheat. And the, the, the wheat are all of us people in church, right? And the weeds are obviously all those people who are outside of church. Here's the problem with that. It's not true. Notice that at all times the weeds and the wheat grow together. Now this is why it's been, always been a wrestling match in, in my life for me is because I like to put this parable together with some of Jesus' hardest words. You know, when, when I look at the Bible and, and I try to pick out what are some of the hardest things for me personally to wrestle with, here's one of them, is that inside of the church, inside of the body, growing at the same time, side by side, are weeds and wheat. Okay. Now, good news for, for any of us, me as a pastor, do I ever at any time Try to decide which is which. Absolutely not. Not my job. In fact, if I did that, I'm stepping way out of bounds, right? What am I called to do? Serve all people with the word of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to do that to my my end, right? But do I know that in any given body of people, there's weeds and wheat? Yes, I do know that. What does that mean? Well, let's connect it up with these, these other hard words of Jesus who says when that day comes, the day for, for, for separating, many of you will say unto me, Lord, Lord. Right? So who would say that? Like a non-believer would say, Lord, Lord? Oh, no. A non-believer is going to say, oh, Lord. <laughs> right? But somebody who says, no, I'm a believer. Oh, Lord, Lord. And I will say to you, I knew you not. i put those two things together. And what I wrestle with sometimes as a pastor is it's easy to get engaged in, in what we call religion, right? Where you can go through motions and become not a lot different than the Pharisees. The Pharisees believed, guess what? We're the chosen people. We know the law. They did. They knew it. Intellectually, you... You, you want to debate a Pharisee? It's like debating a Harvard Law teacher, and, and you're a freshman. Good, good luck. Hey, have at it, right? Um, you, you're, you're going down. So you're going to say to this Pharisee, guess what? You don't know Jesus. Well, he didn't know Jesus. He knew about Jesus. He knew who Jesus was. He knew what Jesus taught. He rejected Jesus in his heart, and he felt safe doing that because I'm part of the church. And so what I always like to tell Christians is um, never judge another person. When the Bible says, judge not lest you be judged, it's not saying to you, um, never, never approach someone or address someone uh, about something that they're doing outside of the will of God. It's not saying that. In fact, oppositely, we as Christians are called as brothers and sisters in Christ, in a right way, in a right way, to address sin in each other's lives. Right, I don't do that. I'm failing you. Right, somebody is somebody is doing something that's way outside of God's will. I I don't say to them, well, hey, you know what? Judge not, lest you be judged. Just let them do it. No. No, I have a responsibility to go to that person and say, I'm not here to condemn you or to stand over you or to say that I'm, I'm your God. But I am here to tell you that what's happening in your life right now is, is, is endangering your salvation. It's taking you away from Jesus Christ. I'm saying that in love. Put that down. Get out of that, right? Judge not lest you be judged is speaking about what? Don't try to look at somebody and say, well, you're going to heaven or you're You're not. No, even though Jesus goes so far as to say you shall know them by their fruits so a person's fruits tell me a lot about are you following Jesus Christ or you're not right but Jesus says you may know them but but don't Luke you dare judge them that is my job and my job alone and so I won't I there'll never be a time in my life where I have a I don't have a bone in my body that desires to judge anybody's salvation that's God's work At the same time, the work that we should be doing as the body of Christ needs to recognize that these words are real. This is not some made-up story. So Jesus Christ saying, I'm coming back with a sickle in my hand, and on that day, weed and tares will be what? Separated. And those weed and tares happen to be both inside and outside of the church of God. And so whether you're inside or outside of the church, the work is the same. Bring my saving gospel into people's lives because it is the only thing that causes you on that day to be found not guilty, right? Uh, to, to, to be separated for an eternity with me. All right, so it's, a, it's really kind of a, a, a picture, if you will, that Jesus paints in a parable form at the time that his disciples are trying to understand the judgment day already in the Old Testament it's been pointing forward to, and now here in the Revelation you get the scene, the crown and the sickle and Jesus coming back. Let's pray. Lord God.